Russia carried out missile strikes throughout Ukraine Monday in retaliation for a recent terrorist truck bomb attack on a critical 12-mile-long bridge that Russia built to the Crimean Peninsula. The war in Ukraine is indeed escalating. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Welcome to this episode of The Socialist Program. I'm Esther Averam here with host Brian Becker. If you enjoy or rely on this show or both, please show your support by subscribing to our show on patreon.com forward slash The Socialist Program. Well, Brian, this show has been focusing in recent months on the logic of escalation, meaning that your assessment is that unless the U.S. comes back to the negotiating table, that this terrible war is going to widen, that it will escalate. So let's get started. I want to read to you from the New York Times yesterday morning, October 10th. Now, this is from the New York Times. Kiev, Ukraine. President Vladimir V. Putin of Russia ordered a far-reaching series of missile strikes against cities across Ukraine on Monday morning, hitting the heart of Kiev, the capital, and other areas far from the front line in the broadest aerial assault against civilians and critical infrastructure since the early days of Moscow's invasion. Russia's attacks killed at least 11 people nationwide and wounded 87 others, the Ukrainian authorities said, and knocked out power and other key services in multiple cities. Mr. Putin said the strikes were in response to a blast that hit a key Russian bridge over the weekend, which he called a quote-unquote terrorist attack. He threatened further strikes if Ukraine continued to hit Russian targets. And so that's what the New York Times said. And These are actually the words from Putin speaking about the missile strikes. Quote, This morning on the initiative of the Ministry of Defense and according to a plan formulated by the Russian general staff, massed strikes were carried out using high-precision, long-range air, sea, and land-based weapons against energy, military command, and communications facilities of Ukraine. If attempts to carry out terrorist attacks against our country continue, Russia's responses will be tough and will correspond in scale to the level of threat posed to the Russian Federation, Putin warned. So that was his response, more of his direct words about the attack, Brian. Indeed. In other words, when you read or listen to what the New York Times said and that what Putin said to the Russian people when he went on national TV, The facts are not really in dispute on this. Russia carried out early morning Monday, that would have been nighttime here in Washington, D.C., Sunday night, Sunday night, Monday morning, missile strikes in many, many places in Ukraine, including the far western parts of Ukraine, way far away from Donbass. And the strikes in the west of Ukraine were actually not that far from the Polish border where NATO has been basically using that as a supply route for very advanced weapons coming into the Ukrainian military. So the facts are not in dispute. Esther, I'm so happy that we have at least a quick opportunity to talk about what's going on in the war in Ukraine. And you called it a terrible war. 
And of course, it is a terrible war. But the issue here right now and what we've been discussing for many months, and I've had numerous discussions and conversations with Eugene Perrier on this topic, is that the logic of the war is in the direction of a wider war. The logic of the war is towards escalation. And I want people to really wrap their heads around it because after a little while, the war has gone on now for almost eight months, things start to normalize in people's brains. They sort of, oh yeah, there's the war in Ukraine and it just goes on and on and on. People go about their daily lives. It doesn't seem to be that impactful. But an escalating war between Russia and the West, and that's what this war is. It's a proxy war between the U.S. and the U.S.-led military alliance called NATO with Russia. It's a proxy war taking place in Ukraine. And our position has been from the beginning that the U.S. wanted this conflict that they did not do the simple things that would have been required to have a negotiated settlement. Meaning when Putin started saying in December 2021, look, we have red lines, we're amassing troops north of Kiev and on the east, more than 100,000 troops, and we're demonstrating to you that we mean business here and we insist that you listen to us and negotiate with us on the very important security guarantees that we require in order to not have a conflict. And those security guarantees are basically keep Ukraine as a neutral country. Don't expand NATO into Ukraine. Don't use Ukraine as a staging ground for advanced weapons that target us that will be placed, you know, virtually on our borders that, you know, weapons that we won't be able as a consequence to defend against. Don't do that. And the U.S. basically said over and over again that those demands were non-starters. And so why would the U.S., seeing that Russian troops were amassing and hearing Putin say, we are really serious, we're not bluffing, why would the U.S. not come back to Russia and say, okay, let's sit and have serious negotiations about your demands? Instead, the Blinken regime, the Biden-Blinken regime, basically said to Russia, you can't tell us, meaning the U.S. or NATO, who we can include or not include in our military alliance, and you have no right to tell Ukraine that it has to be neutral. If Ukraine wants to be part of NATO, that's their right. And so you can't dictate the terms. Now, when the Russians heard this and heard the Americans basically spurning all efforts for negotiations while pumping in At the same time period, billions and billions of more weapons into Ukraine. That was in December 2021, January, and the early part of February 2022. The Russians concluded that the U.S. actually doesn't want a negotiated settlement, that Russia's military position would weaken over time, that it would be more susceptible to forward-based attacks by advanced missiles. And so Putin pulled the trigger first. And that was very convenient for the U.S. because the U.S. could then say, see, Russia's an aggressor. See, Russia's on the march. See, Russian imperialism is the real problem. And at the same time, consolidate the U.S. grip over Europe under the umbrella of NATO, now in response ostensibly to Russian aggression. So it kind of played out perfectly for what the Biden-Blinken 
regime actually wanted, which was a proxy war with Russia. It's not that politically dangerous because Americans are not dying. If thousands of U.S. soldiers, young men and women in the U.S. armed forces were being killed on the battlefield in Ukraine, there'd be mass protests here. But if you can get Ukrainians to do all the dying, no big deal. So here we have a situation where the U.S. wanted, we believe, wanted the war, wanted the conflict. And now Russia, again, we think also thought they might be able to win a quick victory by a sort of a all-sided intervention on February 24, 2022, and that did not work. The Ukrainian military was prepared. The Zelensky government did not crumble, which I think the Kremlin hoped for or anticipated. Instead, there are political parties and political leaders in Ukraine who have been arrested by the Zelensky government and with the support of the United States. They, they've been arrested. And why? Because they wanted Ukraine to be neutral. So Zelensky is not this great Democrat. He's arresting and imprisoning those political forces in Ukraine that favored an accommodation with Russia. And again, they're not small in number. So there's no alternative government that could be formed. And the U.S. then pumped in huge amounts of advanced weapons and basically, I think, took control of the war and now has launched counteroffensives against Russia in the Northeast, a counteroffensive against Russian-held territory in the South, a wide range of very provocative attacks, including the destruction or partial destruction of this 12-mile-long bridge that connects the Crimean Peninsula to the mainland. And that bridge was only opened, Esther, a couple of years ago. Putin actually personally drove one of the trucks to open it. It was a very big deal because Crimea, which is historically part of Russia and was part of Russia until 1954, when Khrushchev or the transition government between Stalin and the Khrushchev government that took power in 1955-56, they administratively transferred Crimea to Ukraine. But it wasn't a big deal because Ukraine, and by the way, Khrushchev had been, he became general secretary of the so Communist Party of the Soviet Union and head of state, but he had been the head of the party in Ukraine. So he transfers, or the Soviets transfer administrative control of Crimea to Ukraine in 1954. But again, not a big deal because they were one country. It was really like, whether you put a light tower in New York Harbor or are you going to say it's part of New Jersey? I mean, it wasn't that big of a deal. It only became a big deal when the capitalist counter-revolution overturned the socialist government in the Soviet Union. And after the Soviet Union was dismembered and Ukraine became, quote, independent, and I'm using air quotes because in, in essence, the U.S. from the get-go tried to make Ukraine a, essentially a neo-colony and largely succeeded, but not until really the coup in 2014. When you look at this whole situation where Russia is being pushed, they're not succeeding on the battlefield, the West is using successfully the Ukrainian military to launch counteroffensives, and Russia can't lose. Russia has basically conducted a referendum in the Donbass in the Russian-speaking part of eastern Ukraine the people have voted. Those territories are now annexed into Russia proper. They're, from a Russian point of view, legally part of Russia. So there's no way that Putin will withdraw. 
And at the same time, the U.S. is escalating and successfully escalating attacks against Russia. So what will Russia do in response? If it's kind of losing, but not fully, but is determined not to lose, Russia will escalate. So the terrorist attack, Esther, on on this very vital bridge, I mean, it's vital because it brings supplies, including food and water, to people in the Crimea Peninsula. And it also brings war materials for what Russia calls its special military operation in the Donbass, losing that span by a terrorist truck bomb explosion. And that's what it appears to be. That was a very big you know, escalation on the part of the Ukrainian military. And now, and it, it's not the only one, but now Russia is retaliating. And the retaliation is very big. It's in many, many cities. And so what happens? Will Ukraine escalate? Well, don't they in a way have to? I mean, once you climb this escalation ladder, and we have said this over and over again, it's very hard to climb down because what political or civilian political leader or military leader is going to say, oh yeah, we've been hit and hit and hit, but we're going to step back now. That's not how things work. So we are in a fraught time. And Esther, our anticipation is, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about this today, but on Wednesday, we're going to do another major show because we believe this is moving from a war between two countries to a regional war and very, very possibly towards a global war, the repercussions of which are almost unimaginable. Right. Well, you know, I think that many people listening to us might differ in terms of whether Russia was not succeeding in terms of their objectives in the Donbass, especially where in those areas where the population did vote to join Russia. But I will say that Russia was not just responding to the bridge attack. If you listen to Putin's full speech from Monday, he talked about, and this is a quote, a number of terrorist attacks and attempts at similar crimes have been committed against the electrical power facilities and gas transportation infrastructure of our country, including attempts to detonate a section of the Turkstream gas transmission system. All of this has been proven by objective data, including the testimony of the detained perpetrators of these terrorist attacks themselves. And so he also cites what we know are have been ongoing attacks on the Donbass region since 2014 when Kiev, they've basically been in a war against that area of their own country since that time. And he even refers back to the explosion of the Nord Stream pipelines. So he talks about a number of terrorist attacks. So the Western media will basically say, oh, this is all in response to this attack on the bridge. And it is in a way like that was the the most recent attack. But from their perspective, from Russia's perspective, there have been a series of attacks and not to mention the attacks on the Zaporizhia nuclear plant. And if you go back and you look at statements from Russian officials before this bridge attack, they considered the continued attacks on that nuclear plant as a sort of nuclear blackmail and that Ukraine was using that as a way of saying, if you continue to fight us, if you continue to attack us, we will continue to attack 
this nuclear plant. But the West, Western corporate media keeps referring to any attack on the nuclear plant as coming from Russia, meaning this Russian-held nuclear plant. They are continuing to occupy that region and the plant that the Russians are attacking themselves. So even progressive media, I hear Monday morning saying, oh, that Russia attacked the nuclear plant. And it's very important to know that for people to know that Russia considers those attacks from Ukraine as a sort of nuclear blackmail. Esther, let's go to a CNN audio clip. I want the audience to get a full sense of how the U.S. media is treating these attacks on critical infrastructure in in Russia, because it gives you a sense of the, the hubris. Now, everybody should just keep in mind that this bridge, which is 12 miles long and brings food and water and people back and forth from Crimea to the mainland, from the Crimean Peninsula, it was loaded with traffic. What appears to be a truck goes across the bridge and it explodes. It's a bomb. It's a truck bombing. And it coincides with where rail cars are passing right at that time. And those rail cars are filled with oil or filled with petroleum products. And so there's this huge explosion. People who are in their cars are killed in the attack. I'm just one of places like for people like in the Washington area who go to the beach and you're crossing the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. You know, you're on a bridge and suddenly, boom, a truck bomb destroys the bridge and people are killed and the bridge becomes impassable. So with that in mind, with that in mind, sort of picture that because that's what happened on this bridge going to Crimea. Listen to how CNN, because it's emblematic of the media, listen to how CNN actually treats the attack. A devastating blow to Vladimir Putin's war effort in Ukraine, both strategically and symbolically. The Kerch Bridge that links Russia's mainland with occupied Crimea on fire and heavily damaged. Moscow's investigative committee acknowledging the severity of the attack. According to preliminary information, a truck exploded on the automobile part of the Crimean bridge from the side of the Tarman Peninsula in the morning today, which caused seven fuel tanks to ignite on a train heading towards the Crimean Peninsula. As a result, two lanes partially collapsed. This CCTV video appears to show the moment of the blast. A truck is seen driving on the lane leading towards Crimea when all of a sudden there's a massive explosion, though it's not clear whether it is the truck that actually blew up. Russian officials saying several people were killed in the attack. Moscow already pointing the finger at Ukraine, but so far no claim of responsibility from Kiev's leadership. Crimea, the bridge, the beginning. Everything illegal must be destroyed. Everything stolen must be returned to Ukraine. Everything occupied by Russia must be expelled, an advisor to Ukraine's president tweeted. While Russian authorities say fuel and food supplies to Crimea are insured, videos released on social media show long lines forming at gas stations on the peninsula just hours after the blast. The Crimean Bridge is a vital supply artery for Russian forces fighting in Ukraine, but it's also a prestige project for Russian President Vladimir Putin. Putin personally drove a truck across the bridge when it was opened in 2018. The attack came just a day after Putin's 70th birthday, leading Ukraine's national security advisor to tweet this video apparently mocking Russia's leader. Happy birthday! 
Ukraine's postal service was quick to issue a stamp commemorating the bridge explosion. Residents in the capital taking selfies in front of the main post office. So, Esther, I mean, that has a celebrative tone to it, the CNN coverage. I mean, really celebrating. And they talk about Crimea as occupied Crimea and as if it's only a place where military hardware is and where Russian troops are. A lot of people live in Crimea. They're the Crimeans. They voted in a referendum in June 2014 to refix Crimea back to Russia, which had, again, it had been part of Russia until 1954. You know, people live there. It's like CNN doesn't care that it's hurting people. It's just like, this was great. Yeah. So maybe that is just the amount of corporate media that I can stand to listen to that like two minutes or so, because the coverage is so slanted. And so it's keeping the American people so in the dark. So when he calls it Putin's war, rather than this war that has been going on for eight years and that, you know, February 24th was just the most recent phase of the war when Russia responded after eight years of people in the Donbass being killed killed, you know, at least 14,000 people killed during that eight-year period. And during that time, the people in Crimea, they voted to become a part of Russia. And just like the West or the U.S. is not acknowledging the votes of the people in the these four regions to join Russia, they've never accepted the will the vote of the people in Crimea to not accept this coup government in Kiev, an increasingly right-wing government that has outlawed their language, shut down their newspapers, arrested and killed so many of their leaders and and been at war with them for eight years. So, you know, this type of reporting does such a disservice. It's actually criminal because it's just spewing this narrative that is prolonging the war, making it seem like Ukraine has been winning the war and that's why Russia is lashing out and Russia might use nuclear weapons. This whole narrative is so dangerous. It's feeding the escalation, not aiming toward peace. Indeed. And when you think about the fact that the Ukrainian government immediately issued a postage stamp showing the bridge on fire and that they made it a giant sort of banner poster in front of post offices and people are taking selfies in front of it. They're recklessly provoking the Russians. And again, from our point of view, from the point of view of our show, our position has always been, we are not, we didn't say, yes, we approve of the tactic of the February 24th special military operation, which is what Russia calls their intervention or what the West people in the West called the invasion of Ukraine. It's not that we're saying what Putin and the Russians did was the right decision. I mean, from a political point of view, you can make the argument, and we have made the argument, that by carrying out the military operation starting on February 24th, the Russians actually allowed U.S. imperialism to unite all of the other capitalist powers in NATO under U.S. domination. And one of the hallmarks of Soviet foreign policy during the period of Lenin or later Stalin or later Khrushchev and Brezhnev was not to allow the imperialists to unite against the Soviet Union. And the February 24th military operation has allowed the U.S. to unite all of the imperialists against Russia. Now, aside from that, We also made the argument that instead of 
accentuating the anti-NATO sentiments inside of Europe, where it's so important, the Russian military intervention basically muffled the opposition. Now, the reason we're saying this is not because we're camp followers of the Kremlin or of Russia. What we're saying is that U.S. imperialism deliberately created this crisis. And if you want peace in Ukraine, if you really want the war in Ukraine to end, it's not going to end by demanding Russia withdraw. That's not going to happen. As you said, Esther, Putin basically did very little during eight years when almost 14,000 people were killed in the Donbass, a Russian speaking the eastern parts of the country, which are have now sort of been annexed by Russia after the referendum or referenda. There were four of them. Putin didn't do that much. He didn't recognize the independent people's republic's sovereignty until then. It was only in the end of February 2022 and just prior to the Russian military intervention in Ukraine that Putin did it. Obviously, Russia came to the conclusion that the aggressive, and it's really NATO-US aggression against Russia was not going to stop. And that's why they took this extreme action of militarily intervening. And instead of the US coming back and saying, okay, now let's find a way to end the war, the US government, and you can tell from the US media that they don't want peace. They want this escalation. They want it because they feel that ultimately it's going to hurt Russia. They feel ultimately it strengthens the US military industrial complex. Ultimately, their goal is not peace in Ukraine. Their goal is to weaken Russia. That's what Lloyd Austin said. Now, I want to play another audio clip, Esther, from Anthony Blinken, Secretary of State. His father, by the way, was a famous cold warrior, too. He's talking about the destruction or sabotage of Nord Stream 2, the pipeline that brings lower cost energy, lower cost natural gas to Europe. And the U.S. was blaming Russia for sabotaging its own pipeline, which makes no sense. Obviously, there was another terrorist action against Nord Stream 2. And the U.S., while blaming Russia, also was crowing about this terrorist action. I mean, you know, in the United States, Esther, you know this from your show on the ground, if environmental activists go to where there's a pipeline and they have even civil disobedience, even peaceful civil disobedience, they're facing years and years and years in prison for felony interference with so-called critical infrastructure. Well, here's Anthony Blinken celebrating the bombing. And obviously, there was detonation in the pipeline, the Nord Stream pipeline, that made it impossible for Europe to continue to receive natural gas from Russia. I want to play this. It's about 30 seconds long, and then let's talk about it. Ultimately, um, this is also a tremendous opportunity. It's a tremendous opportunity to once and for all remove the dependence on Russian energy and thus to take away from uh, Vladimir Putin the weaponization of energy as a means of advancing uh, his uh, imperial designs. Uh, that's very significant and, and that offers tremendous um, strategic opportunity for, um, for the years to come. But meanwhile, we're determined to do everything we possibly can uh, to make sure that the consequences of all of this are not borne by citizens in our countries or for that matter around the world. Esther, I mean, when you talk about bombing a pipeline 
that brings critically needed energy to heat the homes of people all over Europe. And the Secretary of State of the United States is gloating, talking about this as a strategic opportunity. It shows the cynicism. It shows the cruelty. It shows the hypocrisy. And it shows the imperialist character of what the U.S. is actually doing in Europe and with the Ukraine war in particular. Absolutely. And I'm thinking back, I had a chance to listen to some of your conversation with Ben Norton last week about all the wars that the United States has been involved in. And I think maybe either that show or it was an, another piece I heard him talking about how the day after this pipeline was destroyed, another pipeline was opened up that would have been a competitor to Nord Stream 2. And this pipeline operated feeding other European countries. And now the owners of the Nord Stream pipeline, Nord Stream AG, they haven't even been allowed to visit the site to inspect the damage, to do their own investigation. And so countries surrounding that area, the Baltic Sea, I think Sweden, Denmark, Norway, they said, no, we're going to do our own investigation. And supposedly Nord Stream AG won't be able to visit the site for 20 days after their application, 20 working days. So that might be a month before they can actually visit the site. So yeah, this is... You know, we have to view all of these attacks, terrorist attacks in unison. I mean, you know, we had the pipeline. Now we have the bridge. We have all these other attacks that people probably don't even know about because they don't get highlighted in corporate media. Ukraine continuing to shell the Zaporizhia nuclear plant. And I say that because people will hear the news that Russia is escalating the attack on Ukraine, but they won't hear about the attacks that Ukraine is involved in on Russia, these attacks enumerated by Russian officials. But also I thought about the fact that on the part of Zelensky, the fact that for the all of this war since February, he's been willingly kind of setting up his own country to suffer as in this proxy war, because we call it a proxy war. But when you really think about an elected leader willingly putting his country in the line of fire that way and making them suffer in the war, that is really incredible. You know, it's horrible. And I bring that up because there's another piece in the New York Times further down, and this was an article written by Michael Schwartz. And he says, Ukrainians had been bracing for a severe Russian response after an explosion on Saturday damaged the Kerch Strait Bridge, which links Russia to Crimea, the peninsula that Moscow illegally annexed from Ukraine in 2014. Ukraine did not officially claim responsibility, but two senior Ukrainian officials told the New York Times that Ukrainian intelligence services had been behind the attack. Right. So not only are they admitting to The New York Times that they were behind the attack, but they are saying that they were bracing for it. So it's almost like they were saying, you know, bring it on. You know, yeah, we got your bridge and they're bracing for the attack. So what kind of political or military leaders would put their own country, you know, make their own country bait, basically, and basically want an escalation, like you say? Yeah. Zelensky at this point is nothing more than a puppet for NATO. NATO is basically a fig leaf masking U.S. dominance over Europe. When one looks at the NATO military budget, there's 30 countries. 
the United States, one country, has more military spending each year than all of the other countries combined. All of them combined don't equal what the United States spends. In fact, the United States spends about $900 billion officially on so-called defense. That's the military. It's really more than a trillion. All of the rest of the NATO powers combined spend about $300 billion. So obviously, NATO is basically functioning as a fig leaf for U.S. military intervention. Zelensky is NATO's puppet. He's thus the U.S. puppet. The U.S. wants to escalate. It's nothing to Zelensky if more Ukrainians die or more Russians die, because the fact of the matter is Zelensky has this prime spot now. He's like a celebrity in the West, and he's being cherished by the West. And, you know, I want to just end, Esther, on this. And again, we're going to be discussing this issue as because the escalating character of the war is very dangerous. Russia and the U.S. are the two biggest nuclear powers in the world. This is going to grow and grow and grow because the U.S. actually wants it to grow. There is the logic of escalation. So we're going to talk about it more on Wednesday. But I just want to leave people with this thought. In the last week, after the Nord Stream 2 sabotage, and after Europe could not get any more natural gas from Russia as a consequence. And Europe has been receiving 45% of its natural gas for home heating from Russia, 45%. That's over right now. So what is the U.S. doing? It's going to Saudi Arabia, to Prince Mohammed bin Salman, and insisting that the Saudis increase oil production so that the price of energy, gas and oil, doesn't go through the roof, making the war even more unpopular in Europe. So the U.S. is telling the Saudis, pump more, more oil, more oil. And the Saudis, oddly, this is a new turn in world politics, don't want to just be the absolute puppet on Biden's string. So they have formed something of a block with Russia in OPEC plus Russia, there's now legislation in the U.S. Congress, by the way, called NOPEC, which is designed to attack Saudi Arabia now, not before, now, because the Saudis don't want to produce more oil so that there can be lower oil prices. As a producer, they benefit from higher prices. But the U.S. needs them to produce more and more oil in order to offset the impact on consumers in Europe of a policy that the U.S. is promoting deliberately, meaning this the breaking off of Europe's so-called dependence on Russian natural energy. So I want to end with this thought, Esther. All over the world, people are demanding that there be less oil pumped, that there be less fossil fuels produced and consumed, that we have to stop global warming that the UN and other international agencies have made it quite clear, the scientists have made it quite clear that this is a requirement, that we have to get off of fossil fuels. But the US government, the Biden administration, which pretends to care about the environment, is right now insisting that the oil producers produce more oil so that it can retain or continue its war against Russia, its proxy war against Ukraine, meaning Saving the planet from climate catastrophe is not the priority of the Biden administration. It's real priority, and we know this now, is major power conflict 
both with Russia and China. So we, the people, have to choose. Do we want to follow a government that says we prefer and prioritize major power conflict with countries that don't want to have wars with the U.S., but will if pushed to the edge? Or do we want to have a government that says slowing down climate catastrophe is the priority? Is it war or is it the planet? Is it peace or is it war? These are interconnected issues. And if we stop just being sort of led by the nose, by the U.S. propaganda machine, also known as the mainstream media, if we think about these things critically and independently, we have to build a movement, a massive movement against climate catastrophe and against war, against major power conflict. In other words, a movement against war and to save the planet, which means to build a movement against capitalism and a movement for socialism. And I think that is going to be the big takeaway as we continue these kind of discussions about the Ukraine war. Absolutely. And when we look at the most recent developments, not only is the U.S. and most of the West very hypocritical in terms of promoting almost instigating more use of fossil fuel energies, but they're also very much stoking the the possibilities of nuclear war. And these are two existential crises that the world needs to work together to solve. And war is not going to solve it. And you can see how this conflict has only exacerbated the crises. Right. The Pentagon is the largest consumer of petroleum products in the world. Anyway, we'll continue this discussion on Wednesday. Our show will be broadcast on Breakthrough News as it is every Wednesday at 7 p.m. as a YouTube video. And then it will be available on Thursday on all podcast streaming services. Esther, thank you so much. Thank you, Brian. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.